Welcome to Blockchain Won't Save the World, the podcast that aims to demystify blockchain and exponential technologies with real-world examples for beginners and experts alike. Because blockchain won't save the world. We will. Hello, everybody, and welcome back. Today, we're going to be talking about blockchain and collectibles and what happens when one of the world's most famous sticker and trading card companies starts to create new business models with blockchain. And I'm joined by Brendan Cooper. He's the director of blockchain and digital systems for Panini America. Brendan, welcome to Blockchain Won't Save the World. Hi, Anthony. Thank you so much for having me. It's going to be an exciting topic to cover today. For sure. I've been looking forward to this one for a while. Panini is obviously one of the most famous brands in trading cards and sticker books, one of the least digital domains that I think you can see. What prompted the interest in blockchain? Well, I tell you what, we started out building digital trading card mobile applications. These are free-to-play apps. And we started with the NBA Dunk, and then these are officially licensed products with the NBA then the NFL Blitz and the Panini FIFA Trader. And the experience with these digital trading cards, they're not secured by a blockchain. They can be taken down at any moment using Apple and Google's terms of service, which are like galactic sweep of you have no power in, in the world. And so we looked at the possibility of blockchain. And of course, it does all these fantastic things for a collector and creating this new kind of property and true ownership. I wanted to back up for a minute and talk a little bit about Panini's business because a lot of people may not be familiar with the, the modern trading card, the physical trading cards and uh, sticker albums. So Panini's a 50-year-old company. It's a publishing company. It's about a billion-year-old global company based in Modena, Italy that entered the North American market in 2009 where the trading cards are made. And it's a world leader in this area. And we've got the, we represent the most widely recognized brands, the NBA, NFL, English Premier League, FIFA World Cup, Disney, and, and many others. And we have contracts, like maybe over 3,000 contracts with the top athletes and entertainers in the world. And we're creating several hundred thousand unique designs every year. And so in this context, we're producing these trading cards and they're sold in packs. Uh, and this will be surprising to a lot of people. We're selling them in packs ranging in price from, say, $1.99 to $10,000. And on the higher end, you get things that include gold and silver and gems of all kinds. And you've got autographs and game use memorabilia. And these cards are traded in a really transparent aftermarket, like eBay and through live streaming case breaks. And our business operates in a fishbowl. It's a really transparent aftermarket. I'm talking about that because it kind of sets the table for the introduction of a crypto collectible. And you'll find out later why we're calling them the Panini blockchain cards. But the blockchain really created a new opportunity. And Panini's journey on that, I guess, started when, as we learned about digital trading cards with these mobile apps that I was talking to you about. And people really wanted the digital content. I mean, we've had 7 million users flow through these apps. They uh, support seven different languages and they've been successful. And we've been really amazed at, at people seeking out a digital trading card. A lot of people may know or remember CryptoPepe. And that was, that was kind of a signpost when that happened. And that's when I started really paying attention. I, I've been looking at Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies for a long time, going back to 2012, 13. 
uh, around that time, I connected with uh, Arvin Narayanan out of Princeton on Twitter and was looking at an early review of his book on blockchain technology and cryptocurrencies and was blown away. I mean, it really lit me up, got me super excited. You know, and then a few years later, when CryptoKitties launched and garnered you know, worldwide attention on the uh, Ethereum blockchain, it really started feeling like the timing was right for Panini to enter. And you know, we saw this intersection of our, our digital goods with the blockchain technology and the creation of something novel and powerful. So you're working on the intersection of moving away from you know, physical trading cards, physical goods, into a world where you've got digital assets, digital trading cards, digital gaming, which have their own cycles, which have their own unique content that gets created over time. And it's a huge market, right? There's a significant amount of value in this market, which is a place where you've chosen to play. Yeah, that, that's right. For Panini, as a collectible company, scarcity is the game. Scarcity is the most important thing for a collectible. And of course, we're involved in these 100 plus year old categories of collectibles. And unlike the gaming industry, we're not faced with creating complex gaming experiences and trying to support a blockchain or a crypto collectible asset in an open economy. And that's a really complex thing to solve. And it's it's probably solved as an emergent behavior, and it's going to be difficult to engineer gaming solutions, and there are people doing it. But creating AAA games that use this technology and have open economies where lots of speculation and, and there's lots of movement into and out of the system. And what we have is the possibility to create digital collectibles that can live in perpetuity outside of the originating system. And you know, the gaming companies, you know, I, I believe that they will do that. And I'm a strong believer that collectibles are the future, both gaming and game models. It's a much better financial model for gaming companies than just publishing a single game and, and maybe some DLC on the back end. And, you know, you deliver a 40-hour experience and you're done. When, in fact, people are really connecting. I mean, they're really, really connecting with your property and with your IP, and they want that to live forever. They want to have a portfolio. They want to come back to it in 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, and remember what they did. And that's just not possible today. Uh, you know, the games get taken down. They age out. Uh, the platforms age away from you, and, and basically you're left nothing for all the time and investment, but hard, hard currency investment in what you collected. And this new world, really opens that up. And Panini's sitting in a fantastic place with uh, a use case where scarcity is the game. And it's one that our first steps have been extremely promising. I really like that. And I love the idea of an asset or a digital asset or a collectible or a card that is digital and that can live on in perpetuity outside of a cycle. I'd love to double click on that if we can. Could you talk us through how that works and what's behind the Panini blockchain proposition? Let's see. So blockchains and non-fungible tokens, or NFTs specifically, are a are perfect match for collectibles. They deliver and enable perfect authenticity, perfect chain of custody, provenance, provable scarcity, and a lot of other attributes. And when you pull all those together into officially licensed products like ours in an established category, you're creating a, a near frictionless opportunity to participate in this 100-year category and connect to these brands. When you look at the, the trading cards, the sports trading cards in particular, they're evergreen. There's always uh, the next class of rookies. There are always people getting inducted into the Hall of Fame. There's always outstanding athletes, 
transcendent athletes on the field delivering fantastic experiences for the fans. And people are really connected to that. And so for Panini and the collectible business, this technology is exactly what we need to move into the digital domain. And that digital transformation has has started. And I wonder if you could give an example of what does a blockchain Panini card look like? Do you have one yourself? What, you know, what's your favorite card that you hold at the moment? I do. I have uh, several, although I've been really busy building, implementing, and leading the, uh, the charge for Panini with a Panini blockchain platform. So my favorite card is one connected to NFL football. So it, this is a, a digital three by five card. It's high resolution. It's a black and white photo of one of my all-time favorite players, Roger Staubach. And Roger won a a really famous game by throwing the ball up into the end zone. And his Cowboy receiver received the the catch, and they they were asking him about the game afterwards. And they said, I just threw it up and said a Hail Mary. So that was an official term, a Hail Mary. And that was the moment when it was created. And, of course, the photo of Roger throwing the pass, I mean, it captures the moment. And, of course, this is a a powerful phrase that's been, in, in American sports anyway, where uh, the Hail Mary is is the last ditch effort to uh, win the game. And in this case, Roger won the game. It was a great moment. Fantastic. And you can see in that story exactly the attachment that you have with that particular moment, that particular player, maybe some legendary stories or some heritage behind the experience or the particular game you may have seen or attended. You can very quickly see how people get attached to those particular playing cards or those particular experiences. Uh, I'm a Miami Dolphins fan myself, so we're not going to talk about okay. sporting achievement or football <laughs> at all for the rest of the show, yeah. uh, regrettably. <laughs> but, you know, Cowboys fan, you've had some good times and that, that's not a bad place to be. And you talked specifically about provable scarcity, and I think that's really important, particularly transparency in this space with digital collectibles, because to an extent, you know, you're investing money or you're putting you know, your personal spending behind looking to get an asset. You're going treasure hunting, right? You want to get that unique card. You want to get that particular one. But in the paper model or in the real world, you don't know how many there actually are. You don't know how many packs you have to buy. And you've then got to go out in the open market and it becomes more complicated. I guess the issues of fraud become significant when you start talking about some of the rarest cards or some of the rarest physical cards. Whereas in this case, the system helps to manage that scarcity. It's transparent. You know the odds of the game and not wanting to compare it to gambling, but at least you know where you are as a customer. No, that's exactly right. And so far, the trading card industry with its long history, it's had some high profile cases of fraud and Similarly, it has extraordinary cases of barn finds and extraordinary wealth creation appreciation in these assets. And in general, on the physical side, the the fraud has been um, fairly minimal. We do see on the, um, especially the the vintage memorabilia has had different um, high-end auction houses that were representing things that weren't actually used by a player or were fraudulently created. And of course, this is a separate uh, use case in what we're talking about with Panini blockchain, but that technology is absolutely going to impact the entire collectibles industry. And that's whether we're talking about rare cars, rare art, trading cards, you know, whatever the collectible is, the future is connected to a, a Merkle tree that's going to immutably capture what something is. And it's going to have a digital hash of images and the provenance. And it's going to provide a level of surety about what a collector actually owns. And that's super exciting. It's exciting for the the collectors and 
there's a, a process of mainstreaming art. You know, there's lots of fractional ownership that is being undertaken. There's lots of different custodial relationships that are being explored with automobiles and trading cards and, and other collectibles where the authentication enables these, these new business models and lets people approach them in a much more sophisticated way and more like a traditional investment opportunities. So it could be in future that your Roger Staubach card could be owned by multiple people because it's just so valuable and the appreciation potential of it is so high that it needs to be verified. Those who are buying into that as as a share or having a fractional ownership of that asset have clarity that it's authentic and so on. And that's further downstream opportunity of generating excitement around that particular proposition. Exactly. And we, we can imagine enhancements where you might pay for a gold foil overlay or a diamond or an autograph. And, you know, there's lots of different ways to potentially compose a collectible such that future collectors could enhance its value or or make improvements and then maybe um, break it into pieces. And, you know, we see this a lot. All of the crypto collectibles that are being built around Ethereum, there's lots of tremendous amount of innovation. And, you know, in that regard, Panini's paying very close attention to that innovation and taking stock of what, what's possible. You know, we'll, we'll talk about the roadmap in a little bit, but there's so much that's possible. You know, we, we're just a few months in to launching this, this platform and it's a new world. It's, it's a new class of collectible. And I think it's also, it's, it's a new class of asset. 100%. And I'm desperate to hear what the consumer feedback has been on this. But before I get there and before we get to the roadmap, I want to draw the line between you having done your research, you know, 2012, 2013, you're understanding the potential of blockchain for provenance, for transparency, etc. At what point did you have the realization and then go and have the conversation in a company like Panini saying, right, guys, I've got it. We're going to launch a blockchain line. How did that one play out in reality? <laughs> well, so I was advocating using the technology early. I had extraordinary ambitions and pushed really hard internally. And of course, I, I'm, a, I'm a technologist operating inside of a, a publishing company. And our executive team, our group executive team, the Clean America leadership team, you know, they're, they're really savvy business people. And they, they've built an extraordinary business over the last two decades. So they studied it. They listened. They, they were open to the possibility. Frankly, the, I think our timing ended up perfect. If it was up to me, it would have been two years too early. But the conversations took place over time and on you know, a couple different continents. And we had originally presented a case that, was, that included Panini coin. I preferred the term Coop coin. I'm Brendan Cooper, so you can imagine uh, the Coop coin was pretty appealing to me. But that wasn't very exciting. You know, that, that felt really risky, and it's connected to a lot of um, activity and conjures a, a lot of uh, concepts that just didn't really work for a collectible company. So for example, internally, we were having conversations. I'm I'm coming from as a technologist and I'm talking about crypto collectibles. So we imagined talking about a Panini crypto collectible. And when we tested that out in the field and with our community, anytime we used the word crypto, we immediately elicited these ideas of a a cryptocurrency and Silk Road and lots lots of other things that were directionally wrong from what we were trying to to do and, and trying to communicate. 
And this is where we came up with the term, the Panini blockchain. And so we have Panini blockchain cards and we talk about them that way instead of a, a crypto collectible. And I think it was a fantastic choice, but there was a, a moment there where, uh, you know, the, the technologist meets the industry and says, no, wait, this is a term of art. This is what we're doing. And, and we encountered that a lot. And, you know, on this, this journey of exploring what's possible, it's been amazing to see the executive team level up. And I have not, Anthony, been able to see your last podcast where your guest talked about how executives are are leveling up and learning about the te- technology. And I can tell you, in, in Penny's case, I've just been blown away at how rapidly the uptake has been and how quickly people have been able to articulate the benefits of the platform and what the blockchain technology does for us. I've even listened to some of our executives, you know, stand up on a 45-minute podcast and and do just that. And that that's just, you know, that's fantastic. You know, as a, as a technologist, I'm immersed in this many, many hours a day. Let's call it 12. And for years now, I mean, I've been going hard at it. And to see them um, level up like that uh, as part of the process to create this platform, it's been inspiring because, you know, as a publishing company, we're pivoting into this space, you know, leading with, with technology. And that's very different. And man, our team's really, in, in my view, uh, distinguish themselves in that way. And I can tell from the passion in your voice as you're saying it, you know, the journey that you've been on taking traditional executives of a publishing company down a very new, very digital road, the learnings about how to talk about the product, even just the differentiation between using the word crypto and using the word blockchain. I know they're heavily associated, but even that learning is something that you've got to have your executive go on a path with and then understand that actually the underlying properties of the technology are very much aligned to what your core business is. It's just a slightly different delivery model. How have some of the traditional Panini customers responded to this proposition? You know, in general, it's been much, much better than I expected. So I'm very active on crypto Twitter and I'm following lots of people. And I didn't see the possibility that our customers would immediately be alive to the possibility. But it, it, to me, it points to the way that in the larger culture, in the broader culture, Globally, blockchain technology is it's entering the culture. People have ideas about it. They have a sense of inevitability about it. And they have some ideas about what it can do. And that was really surprising to me. So Panini, we've got this transparent aftermarket that I was telling you about earlier. And we have a huge global community of people who are on discussion forums. And as soon as our products release on the launch date, our physical products I'm talking about, you know, there's live streaming case breaks where they're opening it up and they're evaluating and assessing the technical value of the product and how much more they want to buy and what the aftermarket price should be for these collectibles. So those communities are having lots of conversations about what Panini is doing. And as I follow that and look at it, it's been positive. And of course, there's a lot of people that say, I'm never going to be buying a digital good that makes no sense. And, you know, to them, I say, you know, that, that's fine. I mean, there's, there are a lot of people like different things. And even the people that don't like it, they generally have this view that, yeah, this, this is coming. This is, this is going to happen. You know, whether they're gamers or they have family members that are gamers, they see the future. You know, they see that there are more and more digital experiences, more mediated experiences, and that digital is, and a digital collectible is a large part of the future. 
there's always going to be physical products, but digital products offer a unique opportunity to collect and enjoy many of the benefits of having the physical products. And in some cases, um, a, a digital product can evolve and, and do things that a physical product can't. And I wonder, what was the reaction of the crypto community or the wider blockchain community when you launched the first blockchain Panini product? I think um, there was a lot of surprise, first of all. I think a company like Panini wasn't expected to be out front. Again, I'm pretty excited about what that says about the Panini and you know its leadership. I'm attending different conferences in the crypto collecting world. Generally, the, the response has been positive. I mean, there, there are concerns that the Panini um, platform is on a private blockchain. I certainly understand the rationale and concerns from, for that, and we can talk about those. But in general, I think everyone recognizes that when a global player with officially licensed products comes to the market, we're doing a lot to validate what everyone else in the crypto collectible community is doing. We're legitimizing with our 60-year brand and the globally recognized brands that we, we license from. They, we're legitimizing the space in a way that very few other companies can. So I think in general, it's, it's been well-received and there's some uh, definitely some technical critiques around what we're doing. And my response would be that uh, we're just starting. You know, we, we are just starting and there's an exciting future in front of us for the Panini blockchain. So let's get into it. Let's talk tech for a while. I'd love for you to take us through the technology architecture and what have you used to generate Panini Blockchain 1.0? Okay, so the Panini Blockchain platform is using a Hyperledger Sawtooth set up in a dual node configuration. We selected it because we, we really liked how it could be federated. We liked the simple simplicity of the implementation. And as our development team started working with it, we found it well-documented and easy to work with. And we also had the possibility to interact with the chain with or without smart contracts. And using uh, APIs directly was important. Having the option to have a custodial control and be able to engineer that was important. At this point, I would like to say, so as we're going through the evaluation, of the different possibilities. Obviously, Ethereum is the leader, the leading platform with maybe the, the most users and has garnered the most attention. And, and I'm, a, I'm a huge advocate. I, I like Ethereum. I, I like what's being done. And I'm an advocate for decentralized technology. I mean, I'm, I'm all in personally. However, when we start looking at issues of scalability, that's relevant. Panini is now regularly conducting auctions on its e-commerce and mobile commerce sites where we're managing 300,000 plus users a minute. That's operating at scale. And we're not doing that on our Panini blockchain system yet, but what we do see is the potential for that. Now, the other thing is when we start looking at wallets and wallet technology, okay, we're going to the mass market. And when we think about well, we know, and anyone that, that's working with the mass market knows that just about everyone's going to lose their password, for example. And having to articulate, and at this early point in the development of this, this crypto collectible industry, we see that educating people on a bare instrument and that your six-figure NFT or crypto collectible portfolio is forever gone because you lost your keys uh, that's hard to communicate and people don't want to hear that. Our customers don't want to hear that. And so uh, when we embarked on this, you know, social recovery was an idea and 
And at this point, there, there are a lot of companies that are building wallets and pushing into that part of the, uh, the architecture. And Arcade Networks, one of them, super excited about what they're doing. So when you can give users the really sophisticated approaches to their digital collectibles, and maybe they want to be the sole custodian, and maybe they want to implement two or more factor authentication, maybe they want to have Panini control the account for them. You know, there, there's lots of different options, and, and those simply weren't available when we when we embarked on this journey. And you know, the exciting thing is that the underlying technology is changing very rapidly. So going back to the technology that we're implementing, our Panini blockchain platform is fully integrated into our e-commerce and mobile commerce platform. So if you download the Panini Direct app or go to paniniamerica.net, you're going to be able to find your wallet. You're going to be able to view your cards. You're going to be able to trade and auction your, your cards with other users. Uh, and you're going to be able to see what's for sale and make purchases of both digital and physical goods. From a customer experience standpoint, it is a common unified experience across all of the Panini product offerings. And that means integrating with our Magento e-commerce platform. It, it means having a headless implementation so you can manage uh, extraordinary scalability requirements. Anyway, I could go on, but th those are the types of things that we've engineered and the evaluation process was really on me and my assessment of where we were in the, the evolution and the maturity of the, the overall stack. And I mean, we looked at a lot of different public blockchains and um, there's a lot of different uh, layer two solutions that we also looked at. And I'm super excited about what I see, I mean, on the horizon. We're, we're in the early days. Another thing I noticed, Brennan, there, you mentioned a couple of companies as you went through that story. Could you give us a couple of examples of where you look to for inspiration in terms of blockchain technology and the future? Uh, sure. Uh, so there are some companies that I'm studying very closely. One is the ISCC, the International Standards Code, content, International Standards Content Code, led by Sebastian Post. This code is an algorithmically generated code that preserves, similarity preserving hashes are generated and concatenated in a way that lets any piece of content actually represent itself. So there's no reason to embed an ID or information in it. And what this lets you do is, and especially for licensed content, content that you want to protect, content that you want to place a, a timestamp on and make a public claim on the content, it's just a, a fantastic implementation. And it's going through ISO certification right now. And if you're not following it or familiar with it, I, I really would encourage you to do that. Of course, I'm following OpenSea. Devin, Devin and Alex have been doing a great job from the very earliest days of the Ethereum crypto collectible community there. And their implementation is just really, really flawless. You know, if you want to experience crypto collectibles, it'd be a great place to start. Um, another place I'm getting some inspiration from is a company called SIO, the uh, Social Identity of Objects. It is a, a powerful way of thinking about attributes of crypto collectibles and physical goods and digital goods of all kinds. And Raymond St. Martin has really done some extraordinary work, visionary work in exploring what's possible 
in it, with the social identity of objects. And so that's something that that's super exciting to me. Finally, I'm following closely the developments of uh, Starkware and their uh, Diversify platform. Uh, Starkware has created and implemented a layer two uh, scalability solution using their zero knowledge proof. And it's computationally asymmetric and it enables a whole new level of privacy and many, many orders of magnitude of scalability to any solution that you're trying to implement using public blockchains. And so uh, that one has a lot of my attention right now. The possibility of delivering uh, a crypto collectible and doing so and, and preserving anonymity is a really big deal. I mean, we have, uh, Panini has uh, physical collectors with seven figure portfolios and very much like in the cryptocurrency world, when you have all of your assets on a public blockchain, that doesn't mean that you want to be public and your business and your transactions to be public. And frankly, pseudonymous isn't quite good enough anymore. So directionally, I think that, that the future is going to be anonymous and it's an ideal place to explore it where crypto collectibles aren't regulated like lots of the um, financial instruments that are being deployed in DeFi. And this, we just got a fantastic place to perfect what it means to transact anonymously and as well as the scalability capabilities of that zero knowledge proof enables a whole new level of, for us anyway, card creation and experience creation at scale so that we can you know create lots of flash interactions and have really extraordinary point of sale promotions that operate at a global scale with lots of uh, engagement and that's that's something that's just not possible on uh, uh, today's platforms and you touched on a few really interesting things there that were primarily around the user experience so part of your rationale behind using a private blockchain to start with was management of wallets, custodial services from a technology perspective internally. You know, you listen to the Signum guys on a couple of shows back talking about the challenges they had to have in establishing their own stablecoin. The underlying technology required in a banking context or a digital collectibles context isn't that much different. I've got to ask you the question, though, because... Others will, and, and the comment section will be on fire if I don't. Um, how are people verifying that, obviously, their digital assets are legitimate if this is in a private blockchain hosted by Panini? So at this time, it, it's a representation that we make. And when we look at our roadmap, you know, we have a, a mirror of our Panini blockchain so that people can interrogate it and evaluate it. And we haven't exposed that yet, but if you look at the Panini business, how we've implemented trading cards, physical trading cards, we make concrete and legally binding representations of what we're going to create. And it's one of the things that a lot of the early crypto collectible community didn't model and probably should have. And we've even seen companies like Epic with their Fortnite get out a little ahead of themselves, you know, selling their skins and wow, those sold great. We sold 5,000. Let's make another 10,000. I'm making up numbers here. But the, the point is that unless you're a, a collectible company, and Panini is a collectible company in its DNA, we understand this. And so we operate in a world where we're making legally binding commitments about 
what you can get, what the chances of you getting something are, and what's actually in the product. And so that's what we're standing behind now. And we have a roadmap that takes us to a point where you can interrogate the database and, and you know, make your own assessment of what's actually there, as well as look at the provenance that is hashed to your digital collectible and it's accessible in your account. So this shows up like a, uh, what we call in the industry, a checklist. Here's the checklist of everything we produced. And you can go out and assess, you know, which ones you have. So uh, the cards are serially numbered. We'll say there's one of five and there will be numbered one of five, two of five, three of five, four of five, and five of five. And, you know, sometimes they go up to 100, 200. In the Penny blockchain world, we're keeping the numbers really, really low. And again, that's because we really understand that collectability is all about scarcity. If you look at any collectible market, scarcity shows up as a, it's an emergent phenomenon that looks like a power law curve. And it's not something that we train our product developers do. It just happens. It's something that as we create scarcity and look at values and how to create unique serially numbered collectibles, this power law emerges. It it just springs out of every product that we make. It springs out of everything in the memorabilia and the rare art world. It's it's what you see in, in, a, in a deep, mature, collectible market. For us, you know, defending that scarcity and managing it, and especially as we apply ourselves to being really, really good stewards of this new Panini blockchain platform, we're dedicated to the, the scarcity. Got you. And thank you for taking the time to answer that one, because I know it will be on people's minds. So being able to run a mirror node on that Hyperledger Sawtooth instance will allow others to inquire uh, and to look at what's in the particular database or look what's been issued so they can validate, if they choose to, the scarcity, the existence of those particular products and so on. And I wonder, as you look around, there are some places where blockchain is being used in the collectible space, and there's some that are possibly less relevant. As you said, Panini is legitimizing that because you're trying to play in an established market, an established category, but using a digital medium. It wasn't long ago that I put up a post around Lamborghini issuing a digital stamp, literally digital postage stamp uh, around, I think it was a Lamborghini Aventador or Huracan or one of the newer cars. And I I was scratching my head looking at that thinking, that's interesting, but it's a postage stamp and it's digital. And how do I actually engage with that content? How do, how do I make that useful? And I'm sure there's a market for everything somewhere out there. I wonder, as you're looking around, do you see some some great legitimate examples similar to what you're doing? And do you look at some thinking, I'm not sure if that makes any sense right now. What, what's your view? My view is that in a mature crypto collectible market, that the strategic high ground exists at the wallet and the user experience. And that when we talk, I'm, I'm using the user experience as a, as a, as a way of, of talking about all the different ways that a user is going to be able to interact with the digital collectible. You know, if we think about mirroring just what's in the physical space, you know, we have display cases, we have lots of opportunities and shows to share and to put on display what you like. And In this regard, we're already seeing companies, startups that are building integrations to wallets where you can go into a virtual reality space and display your digital collectibles. We see that the possibility of meetups and and people exchanging and using geofences to actually create locations where people can meet in person and exchange digital collectibles in the same way that we do with physical collectibles. 
it, it's a long list, but but ultimately what we're talking about is all the different ways to interact it. And in this way, I mean, I can see trading cards that can be gamified. They can turn into really rich experiences where they're accessing data oracles in real time using players. And in our mobile trading card apps, we already have this. We have digital cards that you collect, and these are accessing sports data feeds and getting real-time or near real-time statistics from games that are playing, and they affect the powers in many games that you can use in inside the, the mobile app. And you know, similar capabilities are possible and where Panini's involvement in that starts and stops and what we engineer around that, you know, that that's all in the in the future. That's a perfect segue into talking about the future because I really wanted to talk about Roadmap. Now, I know some of this is top secret and you can't share all of the details, but I wonder if you're able to share anything around where do you see this going next for Panini? What are you excited by and, and what's coming in the future? Sure. Well, I can't talk about any specific milestones or things that we have on our product roadmap. But any person that's really studying the blockchain space, I mean, there, there are lots of applications for authentication, track and trace of physical trading cards. We have and sell memorabilia uh, like jerseys and autographs and shoes and bats and lots of other collectibles and uh, the track and trace and authentication. That's fantastic. Uh, we see uh, new possibilities and I think I mentioned these earlier in uh, the custodial relationship with all the things that Panini sells. And maybe there's a, you know, the, the possibility to have to never actually take possession of physical goods because these are perfectly authenticated and have a perfect chain of custody. Kerry Hisrich's company and Betting Kings out in Vegas is already embarked on this journey. And it's they're working with investors to create investment vehicles around rare cars and trading cards and other collectibles. And honestly, I think these items, both physical and digital, are a really important part of anybody's investment portfolio. I think if you're going to have a diversified investment portfolio, you would have done really well over the last uh, year and uh, 10 years if you'd had part of your investment positions in collectibles. As far as what else I see in the future, the underlying technologies, and uh, we're, we're leading with the term blockchain. And I think blockchain and, and leading with that technology is going to disappear. It's going to be a protocol in the background, and everyone is going to show up with the expectation that their digital goods are uniquely secured and represent, legally represent a real, a real property something that lives forever and I can in some way place in my my safe, either my physical safe or my digital safe, and I've got uh, and I can bequeath it to future generations. You know, that that's what we're talking about. And when we talk about that with private blockchains, you know, there's always some small risk, uh, going concern risk. And th this is what the advocates of decentralization will point out. And it's hard to argue. When I look at the arguments for decentralization, I think advocates of decentralization have to make a better case and actually apply and implement a better governance. Like I'm not seeing the flexibility and the speed of execution that a private consortium could actually make or even a private company. Of course, in this case, Panini blockchain is a private blockchain. But on the spectrum between private blockchain and something that is fully decentralized. And that is truly an abstraction. I mean, when we start thinking about 
mining pools and and who owns what and exactly how decentralized is anything that's representing decentralized. I think there there are a lot of open questions there. And so on this spectrum, you know, in the middle, we've got different consortiums and uh, consortium models that I think could evolve that may be able to execute more quickly than fully decentralized and governance would still be difficult. You know, when I look at the possibility of DAOs in this space, uh, the, the distributed autonomous organizations, they really could come to the fore. But, you know, again, who wants to go first? What major brands really want to stake their, their reputation or the industry on the concepts underpinning that without some really strong implementations that are at least a little bit lindy? <laughs> I mean, I think that, you know, th- these are all open questions. And so, so when talking about decentralization, though, I feel strongly that crypto collectibles are going to emerge and they're going to be in a public space in a really deep market that transcends categories and transcends businesses. Uh, to me, that, that feels really inevitable. All of our financial markets have evolved that way. And to me, that feels inevitable. But the exact implementation and ownership structure and where that is on the decentralization continuum, you know, that all has to be, to be sorted out. So I think it's safe to say the future of digital assets and digital collectibles is a bright one. And as you describe it, the technology capabilities for delivering that, for being able to legitimize or to bring existing concepts into a blockchain-enabled or crypto-enabled space is already there today. It's already being done. It's really just about the user experience. It's about scalability, or in some cases, creating entirely new categories of digital asset, like a crypto kitty or like a Panini blockchain collectible that people may value or that's engaging people with content that they're prepared to to keep, to share, to trade. I can imagine maybe one of your descendants in future when they're downloading Madden 2150, playing with a version of Roger Staubach, throwing that Hail Mary pass to win a, a game on somebody's mobile device. Who knows? But the interoperability, the ability to create those assets and the ability to trade them is technically feasible today. So I think that's really exciting. Uh, and thank you again for sharing your thoughts with us. Before we close the show, I want to ask, where can people find out more about Panini Blockchain? And what else have you got going on in your life? Sure. So anyone that wants to know more about Panini Blockchain can go out to paniniamerica.net slash blockchain. And there you will find the Panini Blockchain platform. You will find Panini Blockchain cards that are available for sale. You can find a public auction where users who have already purchased and have portfolios of cards are auctioning cards with one another. And there's also a uh, frequently asked questions under the support that will talk to you about all the things that Panini Blockchain is and what the products are. And you can also follow the um, Knights Lance blog also from the PaniniAmerica.net site where our marketing team does a stellar job of keeping everybody up to date on products that are soon to be released. Very good. I'm looking forward to that Dan Marino almost won a Super Bowl card coming out soon. Uh, And I know the conference circuit's pretty slow right now. What else have you got going on and what's keeping you busy? You know, so right now I'm looking, uh, spending a lot of time professionally looking at the frontier, uh, networking and working on the, the next set of the features, you know, so I've got teams around the world that I'm working with to actually implement features that we think are important uh, next steps in the Panini blockchain evolution, you know, things to make it more usable and to expand what, what's possible on the site. 
And then we have some more ambitious things that we're doing internally that I'm supporting that will connect to the Panini blockchain. So that's taking up most of my time personally, working from home and the global pandemic has put me in close contact with my family and I've really enjoyed that. And I'm back on the mountain bike and I have been really uh, upping my uh, cardiovascular stamina and I'm pretty excited about that. Well, I'm delighted that the current situation has benefited your personal fitness. I'm really excited to see more about what comes out in the next few months with cards, with the platform and what goes on. Thanks again for sharing your thoughts and have a great rest of your week. All right. Thank you so much for having me on, Anthony. Thank you for listening to the Blockchain Won't Save the World podcast. All opinions here expressed are those of myself and my guests. If you're looking for more, you can follow me on LinkedIn for more blockchain-related content. And until next time, stay safe out there.